Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. Valerie Koo here and welcome to 31 Days with the best crime and thriller authors in the world. Today we're going to be talking to Lisa Lutz, but I just want to remind you that if you want your free ebook called A Month of Murder and Mayhem, which is coinciding with Crime and Thriller Month and where you get to spend 31 days with the world's best crime and thriller authors, you can download it for free at murdercourse.com. It's a great accompaniment to this podcast series and you can consume it however you want. You can either do it intensely 31 days straight, or you can space it out. It's totally up to you. Today we're talking to Lisa Lutz. Now, Lisa is an American author and she is well known for her successful Spellman series, which is six novels about a family of private detectives. She's also author of the thriller The Passenger. So it's great to get into her head to figure out what in the world makes her tick and what in the world makes her come up with these story ideas. This interview first appeared in our other podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer, which is a top-rating podcast on iTunes, which actually interviews authors from all different genres and walks of life and also different people in the publishing industry. But here in Murder and Mayhem, we have curated 31 of the world's best crime and thriller authors. So you have them all under one roof. Well, I hope you enjoy listening to my chat with Lisa. Lisa, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Now, you worked for many years in a private detective agency, and then you've written a screenplay. You've got such a varied background. How did you get into writing? I wrote my first screenplay when I was 21, and um, I think the second I was done, I thought, oh, this is for me. And then um, 10 years later, my first film, my first and only film was made, and I realized, oh, it's not for me. Um, <laughs> it was a long, arduous process, and um, I, 
I just kept trying and failing. And then when it was finally made, the film was so bad. Even like my mother's after I screened it for her said, wow, that was annoying. Oh dear. Yes. <laughs> so then I moved on. Oh, fair enough. So how did you get into writing screenplays in the first place? What attracted you to it when you first enjoyed it? <laughs> I think there are a lot of things for, for, I think the idea to write a screenplay came from reading a friend's short script. Um, I had a friend, this was many, many years ago, who was um, making a film, and I read his uh, screenplay for it, and I thought, oh, I can do this. And then I started a few weeks later, and um, during the time that I wrote screenplays, I probably wrote about seven or eight of them. Um, Only one of them got any real interest, and that was Plan B, which was eventually made with Diane Keaton and Paul Servino. Mm -hmm. But I think that film is a language that everyone understands, and on some level, you could tell anyone to write a scene from a movie, and they could probably do it. It's just it's part of our culture now. Mm. And tell us about your work in a private detective agency. How did that come about? They advertised, I think, with them. Um, I was in college at the time, so it was a part-time job, which ended up lasting about two years. Mm. And they advertised, I can't remember where, and the pay was really low, but when I saw it was for a private investigative agency, I couldn't resist. And um, so I got the job, and it, years later, the um, the job gave me the idea for the Spellmans. But basically, it was a family-run office. It was a very intimate environment. They were the warmest people I had ever worked for in my life. I mean, to put it in perspective, years later, I worked for my uncle, and it was, there was nowhere near as much affection <laughs> in that office as there was in, the, in this one. Um, they're lovely people. They still, they still come to my readings in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the, the boss parks himself in the front row, and he usually interrupts me, <laughs> starts shouting how proud they are. I mean, they're really lovely people, but they were also paranoid people because the job... You have to be cautious with that kind of job. Yeah, for sure. So after um, not so such a great experience with your screenplay, what prompted you then to write your first novel in 2004? Well, what happened was I wrote The Spellman's first as a screenplay, and this was after the failure of the, the film I wrote. Mm-hmm. And basically no one wanted to read anything I had to write in Hollywood at that point. And I didn't really know what to do. So I was, for about four years, I in between the failure of the the, the film and um, starting to write the novel, I, I would struggle, I would write, but basically I had a day job working at my uncle's CPA practice. I was bored and I was miserable. And I felt like the one skill I had learned didn't translate into anything. I was I learned how to write comedic, you know, stories. And it's really, it, it doesn't work. I'm not a copy editor or anything like that. And um, after 10 years of trying or actually much longer than that, I felt like I couldn't quite give up. Um, so I decided one last time to give it a go. And that's when I I envisioned that The Spellman Files is a novel, mm-hmm. in part because as a screenplay, it felt, it felt really truncated. So I had relatives who kept an empty house in central New York, and I asked them if I could move in. I saved as much money as I could, and I lived there for about nine months. Wow. And um, that's when I wrote the novel, and unfortunately, it worked out. And so, writing a novel is very different to writing a film script. Did you find the transition easy, or hard, or challenging, or or what? It was incredibly challenging. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't. It wasn't like I thought I, it was going to work out. 
Like, I just did it because this is what I was used to doing. Like, I just kept trying because I didn't know any other way. But I had never written a novel before because I thought that I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And, um, but what I did when I decided to, to write a novel was I decided that there were no rules. With screenplays, there are so many rules and so many limitations, and I, I had to admit that I was tired of them. Mm. So the novel, the way I approached the novel was, as long as I could keep people reading, it didn't matter how I did it. If I was going to draw pictures, I would have done that if mm. I could draw. I mean, fortunately, I think it's for the best I didn't. <laughs> but that was how I approached it. And then, yeah, you, I basically scrapped the screenplay and thought about the Spellmans in a whole new light because I knew I had the room to tell any story I wanted to tell. So at the end of that nine months, what did you do to then get people interested in it? Well, I, after the nine months, we're talking about just a first draft pretty mm. much. Um, I revised for four or five months what, after I returned home to help out with some family matters. And then after the revisions, you know, I had people read it, and I kept revising some more and some more. And then eventually it was time to to do the agent hunt. And, you know, everything I did after that was really literally by the book. Um, when I talked to my agent, she says she usually gets her clients through referrals. But I bought a book on how to find a, a literary agent, which is very different than a film agent. Mm. Um, and I wrote query letters, and I probably got about 50 rejections before I found my agent. Um but it can be done. You can know no one in the business and still sell a, sell a book. And that's mm. really what happened. And I like to tell people that because there, I knew no one. And so I just, you know, I followed the instructions in several books. <laughs> and so when you were getting the 50 rejections, what kept you going? Well, I had been reading some – I had been reading a lot of blogs. Like there was an agent um, – who wrote an anonymous blog. Her name was Miss Snark. And so she gave you advice on how to do these things and how to navigate the, the, the world of books. And one of her things was that until you get a hundred rejections, don't worry about it. Right. Obviously you have to, you have to think about what you're doing. You can't, you shouldn't, when you query an agent, you need to know, it needs to be specific to the agent. You can't just send the same letter to mm. 30 people. I mean, you do it slowly. I, it's the, I respected that process very much and knew that I only had one shot with each agent, so I was cautious. But So how did you keep the faith? Did you have a lot of confidence in, in your novel or, or, yeah, how did you not get despondent? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I, set, I mean, when I set out to write this book and when everything I've written in my life has mostly – I mean, I write – to make a living as a writer. It's, um, while I indulge myself in some ways, I've always been aware of the fact that what I write has to be entertaining. So I knew that I knew I had written something that was fun. I didn't know, you know, if it was perfect. I didn't know if it was sellable. I mean, a lot of work was done on the book after we sold it. I mean, as much as beforehand, but I did really feel like I had something there. So I just needed I mean, my, the one problem I had was that it wasn't, it didn't fit specifically into any genre. Mm. So I knew I was going to have a bit of a problem with that because it isn't a traditional detective novel. There's no dead body. Mm. Um, the mysteries are secondary to the struggles that go on within the family. Now, you've written now three Spellman books and have a fourth on the way. Tell us about your latest one. What's that about and how did that, how did that get inspired? 
Um, Revenge of the Spellmans is the one that's currently out in Australia, and mm-hmm. that's the most recent. Um, the way I look at all of the books is they're about the evolution of a family. The family happens to be private investigators, but um, everything that that influences the books is about what would realistically happen next in their life. So Isabel Spellman is my narrator, and in the first book I think of it as like sort of a story about a family at war. The second book is about Isabel figuring out who she is and how to deal with her her propensity for investigating beyond what's reasonable. And um, in the third book, she's sort of coming back into the fold and like realizing that she can be part of the family. Mm. Mm. And I understand that film rights to the Spelman files have now been optioned. So it's almost come full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Will you be writing a screenplay again? (laughs) No, actually what happened was when the, um, when we went out to um, publishers with the first book, the film op- the, f- the film rights were optioned that same week. <laughs> right. So yeah, it was ironic, but um, no, I won't be writing the script because I felt like I had already written the script, and I really loved writing novels at that point, and I continue to feel that way. Like you have the space to tell the story you need to tell, and and with screenplays, you really have to. You have to deal with um, notes from people who have no business giving you notes, mm. and it's writing by committee. Mm-mm. So now that um, you're, you're well on your way, I mean, you're, you've written, you're on your fourth novel, um, tell us about your typical writing day. Do you have a re- routine? Um, presumably now you obviously don't need to work at your uncle's CPA practice. <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> Is there a certain thing that you go through each day when you're in the middle of writing to uh, get the creative writing process out there? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm very scheduled, which, you know, is funny because in the rest of my life I'm not. I'm not a very um, organized person in general. But when it comes to writing, you know, I, it took so long to get to this point that I've been very responsible about at least this. Everything else can sort of fall apart, but the writing has to stay. Mm-hmm. So during the process of writing a first draft, which usually takes four to five months, I write, I write mostly every day. I mean, obviously there's some days things happen and you don't, but I use word quotas mm-hmm. just because I know approximately how many words my books are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I stick to the word quota. And if I write more, that's great, but I generally don't let myself write less. And I write in the morning only. Oh, why is that? I'm freshest then. By the afternoon, I just feel, I don't know, I can't focus. Is there any particular routine that you do or get into? Um, you know, some writers say they have to have their cup of tea first or they have to watch a episode of Law and Order first. Or, <laughs> I don't know, you know. Well, uh, coffee is essential. <laughs> I mean, nothing happens with me before coffee. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, have you considered writing other genres or books that are not about the Spellmans? Absolutely. <laughs> In fact, I, I've written, finished my contract with the Spellman. So four books are done, and I've already started um, two other writing projects that are very different. Right. And I've always said I would not spell the alphabet in Spellman books. <laughs> so can you tell us what your two writing projects are about yet? Sure. I mean, one, it's very, it's a little hard to explain, but it's actually just straight fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that 
that's an interesting process because it's not a comedic novel either. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just sort of like trying to write a novel about a person and have it unfold like a mystery, but it's not a mystery. Mm-hmm. Because I think that what keeps people reading um, is the same with everything. It's a question. You, you leave questions unanswered and people keep reading and sort of I'm trying to, to navigate that process. Mm-hmm. And then the other project is a... Um, is a collaboration um, of a crime novel. And I'm not going to say more <laughs> about it just because we're, we're working on ha- uh, how to do that now because I haven't collaborated with anyone before. I'm sure it'll be a very different process. Very different, yes. <laughs> we have very, a lot of rules we make with each other. <laughs> sure. Now, um, you worked at that detective agency quite some years ago now, and it was for <laughs> a couple of years. So obviously you must need to do quite a bit of research, ex- additional research uh, for your novels now. What, what do you do? Where do you go for that? Well, for, I'm fortunate in that the, um, the, the private investigative agency is literally like a few blocks from where I live. And so oh. when I have questions, um, I can just go over there. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> There's no, no lack of inspiration then around the corner. No, they love to tell me stories. Sometimes it's just hard to like get them to focus on the question I have because like, I have an <laughs> idea about where I want to go with it, and then they have all these stories they want to tell me. <laughs> and what sort of um, cases do you find most intriguing in a private detective agency? Well, one of the things I wanted to, to show with the Spellman books was that you know, detective work is not how we perceive it in the, you know, in film and books. It's just, this isn't what they do. What they do is they sit in the car and they watch someone. And usually that person isn't doing that much. (laughs) I mean, think about what you do during your day. Um, you, if someone were following you, he or she would probably be sitting around a lot because you have Mm. a job and, Mm. you know, Mm. um, and, you know, detectives don't solve murders. They don't break into people's homes. They don't get into fist fights too often, as far as I've heard. Mm-hmm. I wanted to show the more mundane side, side of detective work because, for me, mysteries aren't, they aren't about um, big crimes and, you know, conspiracies, but they're about, they're about smaller things, you know. What is a person doing and why is a person doing that? Mm. And if your, um, if your Spellmans were cast in Hollywood... Do you have an idea who you would like to see in the lead of Isabel? You know, I don't because Isabel to me was always, she was just someone in my head. And so it always felt sort of wrong to to put a face on her that wasn't that vague face I have. Mm -hmm. I have always had of her. So I don't do that. And I think a lot of writers probably would have a hard time casting um, the leads. Unfortunately, yeah, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> now, and then since they, they could be getting close to casting, I don't really want to step on any toes. Sure, right. <laughs> That's diplomatic. Um, now, obviously, this is about private detectives and you're collaborating on a crime novel. Were you always interested in crime and mystery and, and that sort of thing? No. In fact, I, when I think about what I used to read before I became labelled a crime novelist, mm. um, no, I didn't. I read, you know, more literary fiction probably, um, which I think helped when I set out to write a novel because I knew I wasn't going to write anything high end. <laughs> so, but, and I, so I didn't, I didn't try to emulate anyone, you know, everything was just sort of like, oh, how can I tell this the best? 
Mm-hmm. And so what's the most challenging thing for you as a writer? Well, the most challenging part for the Spellmans was how do you write a mystery that's not really a mystery um, and have a series that stays fresh? Mm-hmm. Because I, I've, I've seen these series um, writers just become so stale and really sort of disrespect their audience by not, you know, not trying and not coming up with something new. And I, I just really didn't want to do that. So that the challenge has been figuring out a way to not write the same book over and over again. Mm. I guess when you've got the dynamics of a family, there's all sorts of things you can draw in as well. Exactly. It's like six feet under in a detective agency. <laughs> Thank you. I love that show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and finally, what would your advice be to aspiring writers who, you know, want to write their first novel or in the middle of writing their first novel and they're just sort of thinking, am I going to get somewhere? Well, uh, two things. One, I would suggest that people keep in mind that somebody's going to be reading it and, you know, you, ha- you have to give them a reason to keep reading. Also, I say don't emulate other writers. I, you know, figure out what you do best and do that. That's good advice. Well, thank and, you. <laughs> and thank on, you. on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Lisa. Oh, no, thanks for having me. Wonderful. See you. I hope you enjoyed some insights from Lisa. And I love how she talks about the fact that you really need to think carefully when you're going through of the process of trying to find an agent, not really find an agent, trying to score an agent, because it's not just a matter of the spray and pray approach. And you certainly shouldn't just photocopy or send the same email, copy and paste the same email to a hundred different agents. Because as Lisa says, do your homework, make sure that you're actually figuring out whether that agent is the right one for you and selling yourself to that particular agent because, you know, why should they take you on? They only want to take you on if you can show that they're a great, that you are a great fit and that they can effectively represent you and that they're going to have success because they're only going to get paid if they actually place your book, if they're a proper agent. So I encourage you to treat the uh, the search for an agent or trying to convince an agent to take you on, trying to find representation. I encourage you to take that very seriously and do a lot of homework in finding out as much as you can about that agent before you pitch them so that your pitch has the best chance. Anyway, hope you enjoyed today's chat. The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses, with online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing. Students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.